Take my mask off, a rookie mistake. Um, This is World Outreach Weekend. This is just a weekend where our church takes time to celebrate and think about the work that God is doing around the nations. And global missions has always been central to the vision of Highlands Community Church. Um, I had heard a rumor before that before a pastor ever received pay at this church, that this church was already supporting missionaries. And so this week I thought, I'm, I wonder if that's true because there's, you know how rumors go. And so uh, I asked our church historian, Kathy Joss, um, if she would look that up for us and find that out. And so she found this video of the founding pastor, Pastor Wally Wilson, telling the history of Highlands Community Church. And Highlands was founded in 1946, And it is true that before he was ever paid by the church full-time, we were supporting the Rubesh family. Their son and daughter-in-law are still Highlands missionaries to this day, which is really cool. And the first full-time missionaries that were sent out from Highlands, their names are Russ and Mary Draper. They were full-time missionaries to Africa. And so... Highlands Community Church has always believed in global missions. This has always been part of our vision as a church. Do you ever wonder why? Like, why do we care about that? As Christians, why are we so passionate about global missions? In fact, if you're new to Christianity or if you're just exploring the Christian faith, Maybe this is even one of the things that's kind of off-putting to you at times, because it seems like Christians just want to convert everybody, or by, by sending missionaries to foreign countries to do global missions, we're just imposing our culture on other cultures, and that bothers you. And I think that's a legitimate question. That's a legitimate concern. Or maybe as you think about global missions, you're like, you know, it's good to care about people around the world, but don't we also have problems here that we should address? Shouldn't we take care of our own before we worry about around the world concerns? Or maybe as you think about where our church is right now, in light of everything going on at our church right now, it's like, should we focus on getting healthy here before we try to go around the world? And I think those are legitimate questions. And that's the question that I want to think about today, is why are we passionate about global missions? Why are we concerned about God's work around the nations? Why are we concerned about that? And I actually think that in light of the season that we're in as a church right now, right now we're we're in a season of transition and healing In light of where we are as a church, I actually think this is a really important thing for us to think about, and here's why. Because what we're going to see as we look at the text that we're going to look at today is that there is a direct link between God's vision for the nations and his vision for the church. And we're going to see that as we look at this today. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, Isaiah chapter 2 is where we'll be. Isaiah chapter 2. Now, we've been in this series walking through the book of Isaiah, and we've already made it like into chapter 50, okay? So we're going way back this morning to the beginning, but here's why we're doing that. Throughout the book of Isaiah, there's lots of different uh, 
lots of different texts, lots of different passages that talk about the nations. But Isaiah chapter two is in the introduction of Isaiah's book, and it's forecasting God's vision for the nations. So everything else that follows in the book of Isaiah about the nations is flowing out of this vision in Isaiah chapter two. So that's why we're going back. We're just going back to the source of the vision in Isaiah chapter two this morning, okay? So Isaiah chapter two is where we'll be. Here's what we're gonna do. First, we're just gonna read these five verses together. Then we're gonna talk about what they mean, all right? So let's read. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days... The mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Verse three, and many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse four, he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. Verse five, house of Jacob. Come and let's walk in the Lord's light. This is the vision that Isaiah gets from the Lord about, he says, the last days, the last days. Now, whenever you see the the phrase last days in the Old Testament, that's like a little hyperlink that you could like click on and it should take you to the days of the Messiah. Whenever you see that little phrase, it's referring to the days when the Messiah, God's Messiah will come. And so this vision that he sees about the nations is referring to the the era of the Messiah. And we know the Messiah now is Jesus. And we've looked at a lot of different texts that point to that. But I wanna show you one. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. On that day, You see that phrase? On that day, the root of Jesse, referring to the Messiah, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance. So in Isaiah's vision, everything that follows is something that the Messiah is going to accomplish. And here's what is going to happen in the last days. In the days of the Messiah, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. What is he saying? Well, in the ancient world, mountains were associated with the gods. The mountains are where the gods lived. This is why Mount Olympus in Greece was the place, was the home, was the beginning of Greek mythology. This is why in the Old Testament, when the Israelites worship false gods. God condemns that by by saying, you've gone to the high places because they would go up to the top of a hill or a mountain and they would build an altar there. So they associate mountains with the gods. 
And the vision is that someday God's mountain, the house of the Lord, which is Mount Zion, which is what is referenced in verse three. Mount Zion just refers to the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the place where God's temple is, where, where the true God, Yahweh, where the Lord lives. Someday the Lord his house is gonna be above all the houses of the earth. In other words, someday a day is coming when the Lord will be worshiped above all other gods. A day is coming when the Lord will be most feared, most revered, most honored, most loved, most sought after. That day is coming and it's gonna be in the days of the Messiah that it happens. The Lord's house will be raised above the hills, at the top of the mountains, and here's what's going to happen. All nations will stream to it. The imagery is like a river that's flowing upward into this mountain city. Now, let me ask you something. Is it normal for water to flow uphill? No, that's not how it works. And so what's happening here in this vision is supernatural. There is a supernatural work of God bringing about these nations into this mountain city where they will worship the Lord. So all nations, and the word nations is not just like, you know, political groups. It means people groups. It's all ethnicities. It's all skin colors. It's all cultures. It's all people groups. All nations will stream to it. Verse three, and many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. So all of this diversity, all of these different people are going to be ascending to the mountain of the Lord for one purpose. And what's that purpose? They want to learn from the Lord. They want to walk in his paths. They want to live life according to his law. Do you see the picture? You've got this diverse group ascending. So there's different languages ascending to do this. There's different food that's been packed in their bags to go up. There's different sports that they enjoy going up. There's different music that they're listening to as they make the ascent. There's different culture. This is not uniformity where all the different people become as one and then they go up to worship the Lord. This is a diverse group of people with many different interests and many different backgrounds and many different languages, many different nationalities, all uniting around one purpose and that is worshiping the Lord, learning from the Lord. And then not only are these diverse people united around going up to, to be with the Lord together. But the reason they're doing that is because something is coming out. The people are going up because something is coming down. And here's what's coming down. The rest of verse three, for instruction, that word could literally be translated law, 
The word, it's the word Torah. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Why are the diverse nations going in? It's because God's word has come out. Later on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah will say that the word of the Lord never fails. It always accomplishes what God sends it to do. And what has God sent it to do? He sent it to bring this ascension, this diverse ascension of people. So the word of the Lord is going out and here's going to be the result of all of that. Verse four, he, that's the Lord, that's the Messiah. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Now, that little, that little verse right there, they will beat their swords into plows. Did you know that outside of the United Nations in New York City, there is a bronze statue with that written on it? The vision of the United Nations is for all nations to live in peace. That's also the vision of most beauty pageant contestants. World peace. <laughs> and the Messiah is the one who's going to bring that about. Nations will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. And notice that it's not just that they're putting their swords down, it's that the Messiah is going to transform what, what would have caused them to take up their sword. He's gonna transform that into a plow so that they're ready to get to a new work where they're gonna to work together. They're not gonna to work to fight each other anymore. Instead, they're gonna beat their swords into plows so that they can work together. And then verse five, it ends with an invitation. Come, house of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. In other words, if this is what the future is going to be, then let's live like that now. So what is God's vision for the world here that he gives Isaiah in Isaiah 2? What's his vision for the nations? Here it is. This will be on the screen for you. In the days of the Messiah, in the days of the Messiah, a diverse people will worship and work together in peace. In the days of the Messiah, a diverse people will worship and work together in peace. That's God's vision for the nations. And the good news for you, if you're here today, is that the Messiah has come. We are in the last days. The days of the Messiah are now. And the Messiah, who is Jesus, has come to make it possible for you to ascend the mountain. Why did Jesus come for all nations? Why did he come for all the peoples of the earth? Here's why. Because all the peoples of the earth have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no distinction 
People in America sin, and people in Indonesia sin, and people in China sin, and people in Russia sin, and people in Brazil sin. People in South Africa sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Jesus has come, the righteous one from the Father, to be an advocate for sinners from all nations. Jesus has come. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and he died in the place of the unrighteous. First Peter 3 says, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And because of what Jesus has accomplished in his death on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead, all the peoples of the earth can be forgiven of their sins. They can be honored in spite of their shame. They can be brought in and receive life rather than death. So the invitation today is come believe in Jesus, the Messiah who has come for all nations. Come believe in him. And someday he will return and he will fully and finally fulfill this prophecy in Isaiah 2. But here's what's so interesting to me. This prophecy will be fully and finally realized when Jesus returns, but it is breaking in to the present age, here and now, in the local church. Think about this. Doesn't God's vision for the world sound a lot like his vision for a church? Here's God's vision for the church. A diverse yet united people worshiping and working together in peace because of Jesus, the Messiah. That's God's vision for the church. Let me show you what I mean. In Isaiah chapter two, verses two and three, there's people ascending the mountain to go worship the Lord in Mount Zion, right? Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. This is the writer of Hebrews speaking about people who believe in Jesus. The writer says, instead, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you've ascended the mountain. You have come to not the earthly Mount Zion, but the heavenly one, the one that Jesus is preparing now, the one that Jesus will bring with him in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem that's going to come down in Revelation 21. You've ascended there. You are a citizen of there. You're a citizen of that place, regardless of your citizenship in this earth. Regardless of where you're from, what skin color you are, if you believe in Jesus, you're a citizen of that kingdom. You've ascended the mountain if you've come to believe in Jesus. And just like in Isaiah 2, the vision was people who are diverse ascending the mountain and the word of the Lord coming out to gather them. That's also what we see Jesus doing at the very end of his life before he ascends to be with his father. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, listen to this. Go therefore and make disciples. Do you know what a disciple is? 
disciple just means a student, a learner. And what are these people in Isaiah chapter 2 doing? They're going into the city. They're ascending the mountain so that they can learn to walk in his ways. So Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, make students, make people who can walk in my ways. And he says to do this of all nations. Does it sound like the vision of Isaiah 2? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's joining them to Jesus and to his community, the church. Verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Remember, we're in the last days. The last days are the days of the Messiah. The end of the age is coming. And Jesus says, here's the work to do. He says, go pursue the vision of Isaiah chapter 2. Take my word out of Jerusalem to the nations so that all nations might come to be students of mine. And then the result of the vision of Isaiah chapter 2 is this diverse group of people who are at peace and working together. And listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. He, that's Jesus, came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, speaking of Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, speaking of Jews. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Doesn't this sound like the vision of Isaiah chapter 2? This vision in Isaiah chapter 2 will be fully and finally fulfilled when Jesus returns, but it is breaking into the present age now in the local church. So the church is called to be a diverse yet united people who are worshiping and working together in peace. When you came to church this morning, you weren't just coming to make your mom happy. You weren't just coming to do the, you know, American civil duty to get us back to the good old days in America. You weren't just coming to somehow make God happy with you. You are participating in God's vision for the earth. Now, what would it look like for us to pursue that vision? What would be the practices, the habits, the behaviors of a group of people who want to see that happen on the earth? Well, let's look at the text. There are four simple things, and these are so basic. Nothing I'm about to say is going to be like, oh, I need to write that down. That was so insightful and good. Wow, how did he pull that out of the text? This is just like basic stuff, all right? Here's, if we're going to be a church that pursues this vision, then here are the stuff we got to do. Here's the first thing. We've got to ascend the mountain and worship Jesus. We've got to ascend the mountain. We've got to worship Jesus. Jesus. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having this conversation with this Samaritan woman, a woman who was not part of the inner circle of Jews. 
And he says, listen, the day is coming when you're not gonna worship on this mountain or that mountain, but all those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? To worship in spirit and truth means, to worship in truth means that you know Jesus. You know him accurately. You know who he is and what he has done for you in the gospel. And to worship in spirit means that your heart is moved by that, that that knowledge of what you know about Jesus and his gospel, his good news, it's not just up here, but it's actually dropped into your heart and has moved you. See, as the worship, as, as the gospel goes down into our hearts, worship comes out. That's what happens. When you realize that you were filthy rags, but he has come and made you beautiful. When that dawns on you, when that moves from your head to your heart, worship is the natural response to that. And so as a church, we always have to be a church that, that remembers Jesus and what he's done for us. If we're going to be a church that pursues this vision of Isaiah chapter two, we have to cherish the gospel. To be a worshiping church doesn't mean a church that just like man, the, the room got dark and that pad was playing and the keyboard and oh man, in my heart, I was like, ooh, I got goosebumps. That's great. I hope that happens to you sometimes, all right? That's a good thing. God uses that. But to be a worshiping church is to be a church that knows and cherishes the gospel. So that's the first thing. We got to ascend to the mountain and worship Jesus. Here's the second thing. Again, this is so basic. We've got to become a student of Jesus by studying the Bible. <laughs> We've got to become a student of Jesus by studying the Bible. What are these people ascending the mountain for in Isaiah 2? To learn so that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. This is why as a church, we are always going to be a church that teaches the Bible not because that scores us points with somebody other than the Lord. But we want to be a church that forms people into the person of Jesus, that helps people look more like Jesus. You don't find Jesus anywhere else. 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is a famous passage that we quote a lot, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, for all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching. You've probably heard that. And we love to quote that verse. But do you know what the verse before it says? It says, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, yes, all scripture is profitable for teaching, but to teach us about what? To teach us about who Jesus is and the to give us wisdom for the salvation he brings. So when you read the book of Isaiah, the book as a whole is supposed to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's supposed to help you know Jesus more. So that's why we preach the Bible. This is why we have small groups. If you would like to join a group, you're gonna love hearing this. <laughs> but the way that you, if you're like, hey, I'd really like to discuss the Bible with some people. I'd really love to be in a group like that. And here's what you do. You fill out the digital connect card. Man, don't you love hearing about the digital connect card? Just fill out the digital connect card and let people know, hey, I wanna be in a group. I would like to study the Bible with some folks. And 
Zeb would love to connect you and make that happen. That's one of the things that you do as a church to pursue this vision of Isaiah chapter 2. Here's the third. This is probably the most difficult. As you do the hard work of loving people who are different than you. Remember in Isaiah 2 that a diverse group of people is streaming in. And when they get there, they've got some disputes that need to be settled. Do you know why? Because that's what happens when diverse people start moving up a mountain together to worship. As they start to argue and complain. This week I was listening to a podcast about the Enneagram and how that affects uh, work and your work. The Enneagram is just a, a personality typing system. It's a personality classification system. And the author of this book was saying that, so there are nine different Enneagram types, and the author of the book was saying, you've got to learn to realize that there are nine normals. There are nine normals. Now, what does he mean by that? See, when you encounter somebody who's different than you, you're like, man, they're so weird. No, they're not. They're normal. That's just how they see the world. So if we're going to live in a community like this, we've got to learn to appreciate our differences. That includes our personality differences. It includes our differences in culture. It includes our differences in our ethnicities. We've got to appreciate our differences. Being part of a community like this also means that we're going to learn to forgive one another. Did you know that in a church, it's normal for people to offend one another? That happens in life because we are different. But the church is a place where we learn to appreciate our differences. We give grace to one another. We remember that we're different, and so we become less likely to take offense at something that someone does or says, and we give them the benefit of the doubt. And then when somebody does wrong us, someone does do something wrong to us, we, we forgive them just as God in Christ forgave us. It means walking with people in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, keeping peace. Now, there's a pastor in St. Louis that I respect, and he says this, do you love the idea of the church or do you love the church? You don't really love the church until you get around people who annoy you and choose to love them. That's the church. As I was um, watching that video about Pastor Wally talking about the vision of Highlands, they were doing some, some B-roll cuts to the lobby of Highlands in 1998. And there used to be this big banner that hung in the lobby upstairs that said, make room for people. Make room for people. Some of you may even remember that banner. And apparently the reason they had that banner hanging at the time is because they were uh, running out of space and they needed to make room for people. But that, I love that line because that line is what it means to be the church. It means that we make room in our lives for people who are different than us. 
so that we can pursue this vision. And here's the fourth thing that we've got to do if we're going to pursue this vision is we have to pick up a plow and join the work. Pick up a plow and join the work. In verse four, what are they doing? They're beating their swords into plows. So we've learned to forgive one another and put our swords down. Now the thing that we were passionate about, that we were mad at somebody for, we're channeling that energy now into the work. We're beating that sword into a plow so that we can pursue the work of the Lord. What would it look like for you to get on board with plowing? (laughs) I think first you could start by praying. Remember, this is a miracle. The nations are streaming upward. So you could start by praying. This is what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He said, hey, here's what you got to do is pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. That could be a simple prayer that you start praying in order to pick up the plow and join the work. You could pick up one of these missionary directories that's by the door as you exit on either side. And you could start praying for the Highlands missionaries and the work that they are doing. You could also pray about giving to the work of missions, whether that's by giving to Highlands or giving to a missions agency that you love and support. Pray, give, and it also means that you consider going. See, as churches ascend the mountain and worship Jesus and become students of Jesus by studying the scripture and do the hard work of loving people who are different, as that all starts to boil together, it can't help but ooze out to the nations. So Highlands, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to embody and accomplish this vision in Isaiah chapter two. God, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to be those kind of people, that our church would become a colony of your kingdom where we pursue that vision pray that more and more people from around the world would come to know you and love you as a result. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?